Just shedding some light on what Pentecost Sunday really is, what it means to celebrate this day. Because uh, this is just about as important as Easter, just about as important as without this day, without this day, we wouldn't be here right now. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, Thank you all for coming today, by the way. Without you, we wouldn't have church. I'd be having church by myself. That's all right. Tyler's excited about that. He actually moved his hand. We're making progress. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 16. And you'll have to excuse me, I've had a cough for about three weeks now. And so I have cough drops ready to go and water. So hopefully I will not be hacking into this microphone. I'll try to move it. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 16. I'm kind of making Manny work on the fly back there, so let's see if he can do it. All right. I got three different sections of uh, scripture here, so don't worry if you can't keep up. Because we're going to go to Acts right after this. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 16 says, Even unto the morrow, after the seventh Sabbath, shall ye number fifty days. And ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. You shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two-tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. And being assembled, to, and then in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Hey, Manny, if you can turn me down just a little bit. I don't like my voice that much, and I don't think you guys do either. This isn't that big of an auditorium. <laughs> Sometimes I feel funny even using a mic. I can just talk as loud. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Thousands of years later. We're setting the stage for Jesus has already been crucified, he's already risen. He's already shown himself to the witnesses. And he told, and he's about to tell them what's next. He hasn't quite ascended yet, but he's getting ready to. And Acts chapter 1, verse 4 says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But Jesus says, Wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. Verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And verse 6 says, And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, uh, um, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom unto Israel? In verse 7 he says, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Verse 8, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, we see, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. They were in unity. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. 
And verse 3, And they appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And lastly, in verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You can put down your Bibles, close your eyes, and just pray with me for one last time here to touch this service for that that Heavenly Father, You will come into this place, Lord, that You will speak to each and every one of us at our own level. You know where we're at. You know what we're going through. Each of us have our own problems, have our own things that we are battling with that we've gone through this day, and I pray that You meet the need where it needs to be met, God, through Your Word, because Your Word is the living Word, and we, we honor Your Word, and we thank You for giving us Your Word, Heavenly Father. We pray that You're here with us. Anoint this service. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. That was uh, a good time of reading. The thing about the Old Testament is that everything pointed towards Calvary. We see the so-called stage being set in the very third chapter of Genesis. God created this perfect utopia for His ultimate creation, which would be man. See, He wanted an authentic relationship. He created a self-sustaining environment that would just go on. The thing about nature is it just balances itself out. It doesn't need... It's regulated by an unseen hand. That's how God created it. It just self-regulates. And then He put man in the midst of it. It was all made for man. That was God's ultimate creation. He wanted an authentic relationship with a being that had the ability to choose. That had the ability to say, I love you. To say no to this and yes to this. Animals don't have that. Nature doesn't have that. We have that. That's what he created us for. He created us for true love. Love. The passion. The passion of Christ. And we see the the stage getting set because, as we all know, Adam did not pass the test, neither did Eve. And then we see in chapter 3, verse 15, the first glimpse of what is to come, the man that was to come named Jesus. God said, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. He's talking about man versus Satan. Satan would bruise the heel or think that he had victory, but in reality, he was going to be the the one that would lose, and he would bruise the head or defeat the enemy. See, the the, the thing about the garden that's so interesting is that they literally had one rule. Right? I mean, well, I guess two, technically. Two rules. How nice would that be? Right? I know Silas would love that if there were only like two things that he couldn't do. Seems like we're telling him not to do stuff more so than stuff he can do as he cries while I talk. Apparently my voice is not soothing to him. (laughs) No humor today because I start coughing when I laugh. And when Adam and Eve broke the one rule that God had placed, this set forth the chain of events. 
But I just want to say that the thing about our nature, the thing about having a child is that it's in a child's nature to push the limits, to test what he can and can't do. There's something in us that just wants to do what we can't do. The rules are there so that we can break them, right? There's just something about our, what we're born with when we come into this world eventually that sin that, that we've inherited starts to seep itself out. And thankfully, we have parents who keep us from doing things that harm us. And hopefully we're raised well enough that we can make the right decisions on our own. But for the most part, we do what we don't want to do and we don't do what we should do. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. This is chapter 7, this is verse 14, and now verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. For what I should do, that I don't do. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that, and I've got to read this slowly because there's a lot of I's and do's and nots. If then I do that, which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I knoweth that in me this is in my flesh. He had no choice. Unfortunately, welcome to the world. This is what you're born into. And in your flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Verse 19 says, For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Verse 20, Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. That is why we've got to have God's help. It is, I mean, if you think about how difficult it is to do it on your own, just read Genesis. There was only one righteous man in the whole world. You can do, you, technically you could potentially do it on your own, but I wouldn't put your odds on it. Right? I mean, we serve a just God, and there's dispensations, and we don't have time to go into all that. But out of the whole population, there was one family. One family that in the eyes of God had a relationship with him. Everyone else was just doing their own thing. It was not, it was not a fun place to live. But thankfully, there was one family. So from the time of Adam, things started working towards the cross. Or more importantly, the one that would hang on that cross. Jesus. Amen? Matthew connects the lineage of Christ all the way back to Adam. If you don't believe me, read Matthew. It's there. I don't want to read all the names. You don't want me to read all the names. And in Romans 5.18, Paul states this. He says, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Thanks a lot, great-grandpa. Even so, by the righteousness of the one, the free gift, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. And verse 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, shall many be made righteous. 
Amen. I'm so thankful for that today. When Adam sinned, plan B flew into effect. God had plan A. Thank God there was a plan B. However, things had to happen in order. The groundwork had to be laid. And eventually we get to Leviticus chapter 23. See, by this time, Moses has already led Israel out of Egypt. Moses has received the law on Mount Sinai. And he has delivered the plan for that law to the people in the wilderness, which also included the tabernacle plan. And in Leviticus Leviticus chapter 23, we see a set of festivals or feasts that the Jewish nation was charged to keep. They each had their own importance and were meant as reminders of who provides and who protects them. These festivals have been followed and observed by the Jewish people literally until this day. It's pretty amazing. They still follow these feasts, the Jewish, uh, those who practice, practice their faith. But what are these feasts? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me just put that out there. Because I hope they have the answer. Bless you. Have the answer for you. I think that was a mouse that sneezed back there. We have these feasts. And the first feast is the Passover. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Passover, it's, it, its origin comes from Israel's flight out of Egypt. There was the final plague, and it was going to affect everybody that was there. But thankfully, God gave Moses the plan of how to be saved. See, the final plague was that the firstborn of all the people was going to be sacrificed, was going to die. The, the death angel was going to come in and it was going to kill all the firstborn. So he gave them a plan. They had to sacrifice an innocent lamb and they had to paint the doorpost with blood. Thankfully, we don't have to do that today. It would be interesting. But that would cause the death angel to pass over. Hence the word, pass over that house. And there would be no death in that, in that home. It was on this day that the Jews were celebrating the Passover when Jesus' body was being nailed to a cross and where he would shed his blood. He was the innocent lamb being slain. And because of his sacrifice, amen, we have deliverance from bondage today. See, I've talked about it before, but in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice and they would cover up their sins temporarily. And then it would just keep going forward. Keep going forward. They would have to, they cover the sins. They're rolling their sins forward. Rolling their sins forward. Thankfully, it didn't just keep going on because it was to a point. It came to a point where it had reached its mark and now the final sacrifice was set. Jesus came onto this earth. And when he sacrificed, when his blood was shed on that Calvary, when, when that, and that was on the day of the Passover. They were celebrating the Passover and his blood was shed. Now, because of that, the final sacrifice, we just put our sins back. We're no longer that same person anymore. 
The Bible says that once we've repented, once we've asked God to cover our sins, see, the penalty of sin is death, unfortunately. And, you know, that's, having children can be scary just in general, but then knowing that, you know, there's the possibility that that this sentence has been on them. Again, thanks a lot, great-grandpa. But there was a hope. Jesus Christ is that hope. Amen? Because it doesn't matter. See, the thing about the day and age we live in now, who you are, what you do, is going to affect you many, many years down the road. But with Jesus Christ, when that blood is covered, amen, you're not the same person. The Bible says we are made new. We don't have to be held down by the things that we've done in our past. The Bible says when it's forgotten, it's forgotten. Cast into the sea of forgiveness, it says. It's as if it never happened. And I'm thankful that we serve a God like that today. Amen? Amen? But it was on that day that Jesus Christ died and His, his blood was shed. And the very next feast after that is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. One source says the second feast of unleavened bread demonstrates a holy walk. And on the 15th day of the same month as the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord, seven days ye must eat unleavened bread. Leaven in the Bible is sin. And the God of Israel asked for a week of eating sinless bread. As, um, as we walk in Christ, the bread of life, we demonstrate a continuous keeping of this feast which is exactly our instruction from the Apostle Paul. Therefore, let us keep... This is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Christ died. And He was buried. And that unleavened bread was being eaten the next day we have the sabbath the day of rest it's not exactly a feast but they kind of consider it because in leviticus chapter 23 it talks a lot about the sabbath and how important it is to have that day of rest because the very next day we have the festival of the first fruits and this date correlated exactly with christ's resurrection See, in the Old Testament, this festival was to celebrate the first harvest of the season. They, being Israel, were about to enter a promised land that was fertile and would supply them with more food than they probably deserved. This feast was to be a a reminder of who really supplied the food, who really gave them their increase. That was Jesus Christ. This is the festival of the first fruits. Okay? Paul puts it this way. But now is Christ risen, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, I apologize, Manny. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For sincerely by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And verse 23, but every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Christ was the first fruit for those who were sleeping. 
literally the exact day that they were celebrating the first fruits, Christ rises from the dead. And before Mary could touch him, he said he had to ascend up to heaven. And by doing that, he was, and basically what it was, was they took the sheaves, they took what they, their first fruits, the, the very first harvest that they had, and they waved it as a wave offering. And that was the first fruits of all those who had passed. All those who had died up to that point. That was the first fruits. That's what, that's who that was for. Was those who had died. And I'm just, we're just covering. It it gets a lot more complicated, but we're not going to get any more complicated than that. Okay. The amazing thing about this, about the way God works, is that it's so specific. God set up these days, set up these festivals, and He's showing the importance of Jesus Christ's relationship with us because of these things happening on these days. All right, the next feast that we get to, um, I apologize. We're going to read chapter 15, verse 4, because after that Christ rose from the dead, He was, in verse 4, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom that greater part remain unto the present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, me being Paul, as of one born out of due time. See, the, the amazing thing about Christ is that he told them, go and wait for me. Not only did he rise, so that, that in itself separates himself because before he died, he told them, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to come back to you. Okay, there's no other Savior out there who has done that. When, there, when, 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 when all the other men have died, they were dead. Their bones are still there. When Christ died, he said, I'm not going to stay dead. Amen? He's, nobody's going to have to come raise me. I'm going to raise myself. Amen? Because... I'm going to do that for you. Amen? And the thing, about, the thing about the Word of God, the thing about Jesus and His life and His, his life on this earth that people try to, that people try to uh, count as false, basically say that it's not true. I was reading a book, and the interesting thing is Jesus Christ was prophesied from Genesis 3.15, like I said, throughout the entire Old Testament. Okay, the, the Old Testament is very interesting because it was written over a period of thousands of years. Over a thousand years, the Old Testament was written in pieces. It was written by different men. Multiple authors. All right, multiple writers. Different genres. There's poetry. There's history. There's love stories. There's um, prophecy. All these things come together and fit perfectly. It's like having, it's like having puzzle pieces made on, on different parts of the earth and then coming together and trying to put that puzzle piece together and having it fit perfectly. It's not humanly possible in our, uh, the way that we can do things. It's just not in our possibility. But throughout the Old Testament, we see prophecies leading up to Jesus Christ. Over 300 prophecies to be exact. 
Uh, well, that's not exact, so I guess <laughs> over 300 prophecies to, to be roundabout. Um, but that's not really the point. The point is, is that in order for just eight of those prophecies to be fulfilled, okay, and the thing we have to remember is that the Old Testament was translated, the Septuagint was translated 200 years before Jesus Christ stepped on this earth, before he was born from a virgin. 200 years, the Septuagint was final. It had been translated. It was there. Okay? The prophecies were there. Because there's some, there's some specula- uh, specter- you know, people who want to speculate and, and try to... Uh, say, they basically say that, well, after Jesus lived, they went back and they filled in and, and made these corrections and did this and did that, so that way it could all work. Because... In order for just 10, and I, I might have used this for uh, in a Bible study once, but it just blew me away when I read this. Um, in order for just eight prophecies to be fulfilled, in order for eight prophecies of Jesus Christ's life to be fulfilled, eight prophecies that were written over a thousand years ago, for them to be fulfilled, we're just going to put it in mathematical odds here for just a little bit, just a minute. Mathematically, so you can kind of like imagine what the actual odds of it. And this is only eight. All right. If you fill uh, the entire state of Texas up two feet with coins and you mark one coin and you just chuck it into Texas and you mix it all up and then you have someone walk from one end to the next and, and they just have to blindly reach down and grab one coin them grabbing that one coin is the likelihood of eight prophecies being fulfilled. Eight prophecies. It's about 10 to the 17th power. 40-something prophecies is 10 to the 157th power. I can't even, you know, it's, it's too many zeros. We don't have a name for that number. And over 300 prophecies were fulfilled in the life of Christ. Over 300 how is that possible? It's not possible with us. But with God, the fact that there was one author, there were multiple writers, but there was only one author, it's possible. That's why God set it up the way he set it up. That's why he gave them these feasts. He's looking to the cross. He's looking to Jesus. He's getting things ready, setting the stage, having something that we can hope for. Because the very next feast, on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost meaning basically the 50th day, and it's the 50th day after the first fruits. This festival is to celebrate the next harvest, basically the the summer harvest. So while the Jews were celebrating Pentecost, there were 120 people in an upper room. It started off with about 500. When when we read chapter 1, verse 4 earlier, and Jesus Christ said, I'm going to undo you with power. There was about 400 there. After those days that they waited, there was 120. Those 120 were up in an upper room praying in one accord, the Bible says. And when all the rest of the Jewish nation was celebrating Pentecost, they were praying. And God filled them with His Spirit. See, it was the second batch of the first fruits I guess I could say in other words it's our hope the first fruits when Jesus Christ rose initially for those who had died but 
Everyone is included in God's plan. And then, on, and then 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, why wait 50 days? Why? Because that's, it was already set up. It was going to happen. Whether there was 10 there, whether there was 120 there, whether there was 1,000 there, it was already set up. In James chapter 1, verse 17, we see that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In verse 18, of his own will, his being God, begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Verse 19, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. If there weren't any wiser words, I don't know. Slow to speak, and then that means you're going to be slow to wrath. In verse 20 says, For the wrath of man worketh not righteousness of God. It doesn't work righteousness with God. But in verse 18 it says, Of his own will. Most living, most free, most pure, just opposite to, do, to our evil desire, begat he us. That, in other words, of God's perfect will, he did this. Begat he us who believe, and then by the word of truth, the true word, emphatically so termed the gospel, that we might be the kind of first fruits, fruits of his creatures, which is Christians, that's us, are the chief and most excellent of his visible creatures. And this is pretty powerful. It says, and we sanctify the rest. Yeah, he says a kind of, which is a kind of because only Christ can be the absolute first fruits. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we see, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And I'm so thankful for that name today. I'm so thankful that I have the opportunity to know that name today. See, this is the time that we are still in. If God plans to follow this plan, we have two more feasts that coincide with the prophecies of Christ. The first is the Feast of the Trumpets. The Feast of the Trumpets basically is the rapture of the church. And this is what we're waiting for. But the thing about it is, Jesus said, but of that day, and this is Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus said, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. See, we do know that God likes patterns and plans, right? He was clear in his direction. When he spoke to Moses on the mountain, he gave him very clear instructions. He gave him the tabernacle plan instructions down to the meter. He was... He gave every measurement. He wanted it exact. He had very specific dimensions. And then Jesus, when he was on this earth, he gave Peter the keys to salvation, right? He said, he gave him the way, the, the, the words to preach that would bring salvation to those who were around them. And then on the day of Pente Pentecost, we see those keys used to open the doors of salvation, and I know that this is familiar territory for the majority of us, 
but for some it's not and you know the the interesting thing about this scripture and 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 the 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 point afterwards that coincides with with this feast and with with how it related to the old testament in acts 238 we see then peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive what the gift of the holy ghost right but see it doesn't stop there and thankfully because lastly i want to point out how specific and awesome our god is in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, God ends the description of this feast of weeks. And that's the feast. So the feast of weeks is also the day of Pentecost. They're the same celebration. There's like three different names for the, day, for the Pentecost feast. The feast of weeks with the instruction to Israel to leave the corners of their fields unharvested for the poor to eat. And they left the 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 wheats that the the grains that get fall, that fall on the ground they were told to leave those because everyone was to be included in this festival everyone was to be included and then in verse 39 of acts chapter 2 we see for the promise is unto you and to your children and it doesn't stop there and to all that are afar off even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Amen? We can stand. I'm closing.